We're in John chapter 12, verses 37 to 36, 27 to 36, talking about living for an even greater glory. Life is short, and then we die, and we live for something in between. As we come to God's Word this morning, we want Him to open our eyes to an even greater glory. There we go. Hear then the Word of God, John 12, starting in verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said that an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered and he said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, I when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of a death that he was going to die. So the crowd answered him and they said, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. And the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons and daughters of light. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this morning at your feet to hear your word. For you to speak into our lives. Would you make us receptive? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth? But more than that, Father, that we might be shaped in the image of the truth. That our lives might be conformed to the truth. That we might be obedient to the truth. Come near in the power of your word and in the power of your spirit to make us like Christ. In whose name we ask and pray. Amen. Jesus Christ is, at this point, a superstar, right? He has arrived at stardom. Everyone around him is lavishing attention on him. He's just come from a dinner given in his honor at the house of some of his friends. A fortune of, in Cologne has been poured out on him, lavished on him. He is ridden into Jerusalem with great, like a great celebrity. They've thronged out to see him. They're taking off their cloaks and throwing them on the ground in front of him. They're bringing palm branches and laying them in front of him that he could enter in in great pomp and glory as they uh, chant and sing, Blessed is the King who comes. Glory to God who is in the highest. Strangers and foreigners are seeking him out. People want to see him. People want to talk to him. After the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus has skyrocketed to popularity and stardom. And at some level, most of us would really like this. Right? If people were seeking you out, they wanted your advice and talking about how wise you were or how good you were and the great things you've done. You've been doing some work or some ministry and people were talking about it and they think you're great and they were thronging to you and coming to your class or coming to see what it is that you do. And You know, we enjoy being valued. We f- like to feel appreciated. 
We like to know how wonderful we are, how great a job we're doing. We love it when people seek our attention, sing our praises. When our hard work and talents are recognized by those around us, we tend to be happy and satisfied, don't we? When our hard work and our talents and who we are and what we do or, you know, however hard we work at whatever it is we're working at, we're happy, we're satisfied when people see it. Now, these are legitimate desires within proper limits. The problem is that these desires that are legitimate can become bigger than life. They can take on, they can become not just a legitimate desire or something that we enjoy, but it actually can become something that we need, something that we crave, something that we pursue, something that we want. In fact, we're it moves beyond that desire to a need where we're, we're, we're not happy and satisfied unless we're recognized. That I did the job and it wasn't enough to do the job, but unless I was recognized, unless in some way somebody saw it and affirmed and, and noted it, and so we seek it and we crave the attention that comes from that recognition. In fact, our choices become made around this desire to, to please people and for people to be pleased. And, and to be pleased with us, that they would be approving of us. Consciously or unconsciously, we crave and pursue approval, affirmation, in some sense, glory. If we're only happy and satisfied when we feel appreciated and affirmed, then we are rarely happy and satisfied. Because it doesn't come to us as often as we would like it, as often or not. It's you know, if we get a little attention, a little appreciation, it's never quite enough. It's something that we then get locked into a cycle of pursuing. The, uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says it this way. It's in your bulletin under the second point. Yes, we've already made it to the second point. He says, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is never full. And to the place where the streams flow, and there they flow again. You know, there's this image of, a, an, a, of an ocean that's never quite satisfied, and a stream that must flow there again and again, and it never is full. And then he goes on and he applies it, and he says, the eye is satisfied with the seeing. I must have some short or something. Sorry about that. The eye is not satisfied with the seeing, and nor is the ear filled with hearing. There's this picture of the soul. The soul is like an ocean. You know, God has made us this way. I mean, we were, we were created for, for an infinite sense of satisfaction. For We have cravings that, that it takes more than this world can offer to, to fill. But there's this picture of the soul, that's the ocean that's never... The eye that sees, but it's never, but we're never full. The ear hears, but we're never full. The attention that we're given, you know, the ear hears, but we're never full of that attention. It's not enough, and so we crave it. And day after day, we make our choices to pursue. But the interesting thing is, as you look at Jesus as he comes through here, he's really at the peak of his, of his popularity. Jesus has risen to the top of his game right here. And Jesus is not distracted by everyone's attention, right? He's not distracted by the attention that people are giving him. He doesn't reject it, but he doesn't seek it, and he doesn't need it. 
He's not drunk on the applause of men. He is free from its seduction. He doesn't crave it. He doesn't pursue it. And the reason why Jesus can stand at this critical moment, and it's really a critical moment, is it's the moment that he knows he enters Jerusalem on this last week of ministry as he approaches the cross. And it's crucial because it's also the height of his popularity. It's also this moment when he has actually risen a man, raised a man from the dead, and the crowds are thronging to see him, and they're, they're literally singing his praises. But the reason that Jesus doesn't get drunk on the applause of men and this, this need for attention is because he has his eye on a different prize. Right? Jesus is seeking a greater glory than the glory that is being lavished on him even at this moment. We need to see Jesus wants approval. Even Jesus wants approval. He wants affirmation. There's a sense in which he wants glory. It is in a very real sense a legitimate desire. And he wants all the joy and the satisfaction that come from that. But he doesn't want it from the crowds. He doesn't want it from his disciples. He doesn't, you know, it's not the smell of the cologne that's been dumped all over him that has him giddy. It's not the people around him and the crowds and the co-workers and, and, and others that we would long to get it from. His heart is set on a glory that comes only from his Father. He has a laser focus in this moment. Right in verses 23 to 28 is a, is a conversation. It's a little monologue that Jesus gives as he has just entered in through the triumphal entry in the last section. The Greeks come looking for him, and in verses 23 to 28, Jesus responds to this acclaim and the fact that people are now seeking out him out for his attention, and he has this little conversation. And he says, now is the time for my glory. After all the applause, after the triumphal entry. And he says, yeah, now is the time for my glory, but not the way you think. Verse 23, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It is my moment of glory, but it will not be by the praise of men. In verse 24, he tells us, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it'll bear much fruit. A verse that should be getting very familiar to us. I don't mind reading it again and again. This is one that should be written on your soul. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, and so Jesus says, only when there is this true harvest, when the seed dies and it brings forth the harvest, will there be the proper glory that is intended by God. In other words, I must die to the applause. I must die to the attention of the crowds. In fact, I must literally die. And only then will I find the glory, the only glory that is worth seeking. A greater glory. The applause of the crowd is actually a distraction. In fact, it is, it is even a temptation. You know, the attention that you receive from the people around us can be a real temptation. Whether it's from your boss or your co-workers, your children, your spouse the people in church, the people who... It can be even a temptation to us. 
something to be resisted. In verse 27, we find Jesus saying, then is my soul troubled. You know, with this, this juncture, this critical moment, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no, this is why I came. This is why I, was, I, I am here. In other words, I was born for this. In John 6, 38, back in many chapters ago, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father. I was born for this. I was sent for this. I came for this. This is why I live. This is why I exist. This is my bread and butter. This is what feeds and satisfies my soul. So in verse 28, God speaks to it. And he says, as Jesus has prayed, Father, glorify your name. This is the purpose I've come into this world, into this hour. Father, glorify your name. For the Father's glory, and the Father speaks to it. And again, affirms Jesus' authority and identity. And he speaks, and he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I hear your prayers. I hear your desire. God speaks into Jesus' life and his ministry and affirms it and says, I'm with you, and we're going to finish this thing. Now, it's interesting to me that, that just as an aside, the whole, uh, some of the crowd heard it and they thought they heard thunder. It's interesting to me in C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's this, this, this uh, phenomenon that goes on that there are those who have faith in Aslan, who have faith in Christ, who see him when other people can't see him, who hear him when other people can't hear him. And there are those in unbelief that when he is speaking can't hear him and only hear things like thunder. And this, that I wonder if it is only the ears of faith that, can, that hear the voice speaking what it speaks. Otherwise it sounds, uh, it sounds like something else. sounds like thunder. It sounds, whatever it is, the point is this. As God speaks, as Jesus prays his prayer and God speaks to it, the point is this. God purpose, God's purposes are arriving at a climax. Right, they are arriving at a critical climax in the juncture of God's purposes, not only in the life of Christ, but in his purposes in the entire world, in the history of the world. We have arrived at this moment. Right, we see it in verse 31. He says, Jesus says, this voice was for your sake, but here's the deal. Now is the judgment of the world. Now it's the judgment of the world. Now. Will the ruler of this world be cast out? And I, when I am lifted up, am going to draw people to myself. That, he is, he's painting a picture there. Do you see? He's painting a picture of a whole new world. He's painting a picture of the kingdom of God coming. Right? Now is the judgment of the world as I am judged on the cross bearing the sin of all those who would put their faith in me. Now is the power of Satan going to be broken. Now. Will I be lifted up in salvation? Right? Satan is going to be defeated and cast down. We see in Luke chapter 10, he says this. It's there in your bulletin under the third point. He says this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But Jesus is saying, I, I saw his power broken. He's not gone. But I saw him fall. I saw a breaking a limiting in some way. He says it, I think, differently in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. It's the next verse there in your bulletin. He says, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods 
unless he first binds the strong man. This is Jesus' response as he is casting out demons and having authority in the spiritual world, and he's being accused of being in league with Satan. And Jesus offers a different interpretation. And Jesus says another interpretation of this is it's someone who's come and has bound the strong man. The ruler of now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Someone has come, he says, and has bound the strong man and is plundering his house. That's what Jesus was about, plundering the strong man's house. The power of the devil is, is leashed. In some way, the devil is bound as Jesus begins his gospel ministry. Delivering the possessed, healing the sick, and drawing people to faith. Right, as Satan is bound, verse 32 comes into play and he says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw all people to myself. That is, from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. No longer will I draw men from Israel. No longer will I draw a little crowd as I come into Jerusalem. He's got his eye on a greater glory. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, men from every tribe and nation. No longer will Satan have power to deceive the nations. And we will only have a people of God here in Israel. Satan will be bound, his power will be cast down, and I will draw all men. I'm going to build a worldwide kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming. The works of the devil are being undone. The light is shining in the darkness, verses 35 and 36. The light is shining in the darkness, and you need to believe in the light so that you can become a child of the light. In other words, enter into this kingdom. Enter into this pushing back of the darkness. There's this, there's this, Jesus trying to paint this picture. There's a greater glory. There's a bigger story going on. You know, you have your little story. You go to work every day and you do your job and you have your boss who you have to please and the people around you and you're worried about what the guy down the pew thinks and am I dressed right? And we, we live in this little story, in this little world and Jesus, and Jesus lives in that story too and, and the crowds are, uh, because he does the Father's will, the, the crowds love him. Jesus is saying, I have to step away from the sounds of the crowd and to get a vision of what is going on here. The kingdom is coming and the darkness is being pushed back and Satan is being cast down and I am being lifted up and there's a worldwide drawing of the human race to me in salvation. And Jesus says, I was born for this. I was sent for this. I want nothing more than to finish this work, this job, nothing more than to do the Father's will in this critical moment. Why would I care about what people think? Why would I seek to please people when the kingdom of God is literally breaking in on the face of the earth? And Christ is calling us to join him to pushing back the powers of darkness. This, this story, this grand story of the coming of the kingdom. It's been a couple thousand years in coming and it's been pushing forward, but this, this story goes on. He calls us to join him in this critical moment when, when we are tempted to listen to the applause of the world, to seek the attention of this person or that person, or to care about what all these people think. When Jesus is calling us to step out of the rat race and say, there's a kingdom coming 
a darkness that needs to be pushed back, a Satan that needs to be cast down and out, a people, Christ, a Christ that needs to be lifted up, that all men, all people would be drawn to him. Why would I care about what people think? Why would I seek to please people when there's a kingdom coming? He says, then will the Father be glorified. And then will the Father glorify me. Right? Do we see that in this whole thing? He says the hour is come in verse 23 that the Son of Man is going to be glorified. But in verse 28, he says, Father, at this juncture, in this moment, as he goes to the cross, it's not only about Jesus' glory, now will I be glorified, it's about the Father's glory. He says, Father, glorify your name. And we need to see these two things connected together, not only for Jesus, but for you and I. The glory of the Father's name is where we will find our glory, or there won't be any. It's the only place to find it. As tempting as it is to be what the crowd wants Jesus to be. He says, I'm here for the glory of God. I am not content with the fickle praise of men. I am not going to get caught up into this, this uh, rat race and this gerbil wheel spinning to, to gain the pleasure and the applause of people. I'm here to live for an even greater glory. And here's the thing, in verse 28, as he says, Father, glorify pursuing the glory of the Father's name through obedience and through faithfulness is the way to a greater glory. It's the way to find the glory that we all crave. There's a sense in which it's a legitimate desire. At least Jesus affirms it and the Father seems to affirm it again and again as he offers it to us, promises it to us. Lays it out in front of us as this, this promise that, that, he, that he hopes will capture our hearts and our imagination. I want us to see that this is the choice we make every day. In John 17, as Jesus is praying a couple chapters from now, wrapping up his life on earth, and he prays this, Father, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. My desire is that when I am on my deathbed, that that will be the prayer on my lips. Right? I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And this is the choice we make every day. To do that will and to seek that glory, to be able to pray that prayer. Or to live for some other glory. To live for the approval and the attention of the world around us. Who are we living for? See, here's the thing. Jesus will be glorified because he seeks the Father's glory and not his own. He will be glorified. But it's because he seeks the Father's glory and not his own. Can you imagine if Jesus refused to do God's will at this moment? And went his own way? He's got the crowds wrapped around his little finger. They want to make him king. They've tried to make him king a couple of times already. They are ready to go. The crowd is, is his. What if Jesus decided to listen to their claims? We should make you king, Jesus. And he says, yes. Yes, you should. You should make me king. And he pursues this kingdom on earth. You know, it was only 100 years before that Judas Maccabeus led Israel in rebellion against Greece and actually led Israel to their independence. 
They had a hundred years of independence from the power of Greece under Jewish independence and rule. You know, Jesus Maccabeus, Jesus the hammer. You can throw us, like he threw off the Greeks. We can throw off the Romans. We can be independent. You see stars in his eyes. What if he became king? He would forfeit the glory of God. Right in Matthew 6, as Jesus is teaching us what it means to live for God in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Right? In order to be seen by them, beware of doing your, your whatever it is you do, beware of doing it before people for their applause because if you get their applause here's the thing you've got the reward you wanted and he says if you get that reward and that's what you sought and that's what you get he said you have no reward from your father who is in heaven then you will have no reward he says if you live to be seen and honored by men you forfeit the reward of the Father. Seeking the glory of the Father's name through obedience and faithfulness is the way to an even greater glory. And he says the whole thing. Jesus isn't satisfied with the affirmation and applause of men because there's a greater glory. Look in your bulletin under the last point. C.S. Lewis says it this way. It, it would seem that our Lord Jesus finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Right? We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and the applause of men when infinite joy is being offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too, far too easily pleased. Right, and he uses these images, I guess, of the holiday at the sea is, is the glory of God. It falls short for me. I think he could have come up with something better there. But, you know, but that image of, of making mud pies in the slums resonates to me. And I think sometimes that's what we do. We spend our days making mud pies in the slum. You know, this great glory is offered to us. We're satisfied with a pat on the back by the, the guy in the next cubicle or the, the promotion or the well done or the whatever it is from the men around us as we give ourselves seeking the glory that is so tiny and infinitesimal. Fooling about, he says, half-hearted creatures, making mud pies. What about you? Are your desires too weak? Are you playing in the mud? Or are you seeking a greater glory? And he says, seek glory. But seek real glory. Seek the glory that comes from the Father. Do you live more for what the guys at work think about you? Do you live more for what the people around you think about you? Or do you really care about what the Father thinks about you? Are you free to live, to hear. In Matthew 25, there in your bulletin, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and so I'm going to set you over much. I'm going to give you a greater glory. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you, right, I'm going to give you a reward for your faithfulness, faithful servant. 
I'm going to exalt you. Right? First Peter 5, 6, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, under God's mighty hand, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Right? Humble yourself now in his servants. Seek his glory and not your own. And at the proper time, on the proper day, he will exalt you and set you to share in a glory that is beyond your imagination. Are you living for this glory? Are you living to hear well done? Are you living to be able to pray? I have finished the work that you have given me to do. I have glorified you in my living here on this earth. We really have to choose. Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, it's there in your bulletin. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you see how that's true? <laughs> if I were still trying to please men, how can I serve Christ? Because what I'm going to do and what I'm going to choose and how I'm going to live is going to be entirely different if I'm serving to please man or serving the Lord Jesus Christ and seeking his glory and not my own glory. So there in Ephesians and Colossians as we wrap, he says, serve not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Choose you this day whom you will serve. The applause of the people around you or the Christ who has died for you, right? Serve not the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why, Paul? Well, knowing that the, from the Lord you will receive your inheritance, the greater reward, the greater glory that he has intended for you. Don't forfeit it by pursuing mud pies. His yoke is easy and his burden is light when we are constrained by his love, free to pursue an even greater glory, to stop fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered. What are you doing? What are you doing? What is your mission? What is the prayer you want to pray with your last breath from a true and noble heart? He calls us to step out of the rat race, to step away from our little kingdom and to get on mission and to live for an even greater glory. It was Jim Elliot who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. An even greater glory. Pray with me. Father in heaven, this morning we confess that uh, we are often seduced by the siren songs around us. The songs of attention and applause and the glory that we can find in the things of this earth. Father in heaven, we pray this morning that you would set our hearts free, that in the constraining love of Christ, we would see the coming of your kingdom, that we would see the pushing back of darkness, that we would see a son of man lifted up and drawing all men to himself, and that we would be sons and daughters of light, that we would live for this greater glory that comes only from you. 
Oh, set us free. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to stand you.